You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Well, good morning, church. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. That video is awesome. I remember a couple years ago, we were on a video call with Craig, and they were still heavily learning the language at the time, and he said he's just praying, Lord, give me German so I can give them Jesus. And I mean, they're really living for the gospel there in a place that it is not easy. So continue praying for them and our missionaries around the world. Um, As Dean said, my name is Hank Williamson. I'm a resident here. I work in our college ministry. Um, Prior to that, I was a student in our college ministry, uh, spent all four years at Florida State, and absolutely loved it and decided to stay. Um, I never thought I'd be up here on a Sunday. Uh, But here I am a couple years ago, Dean uh, and our pastoral staff took some of us guys who were thinking about going into ministry to a Jacksonville pastors conference. I remember on the way home in the van, Dean said, Hank, after you graduate sometime, I'd love to let you preach on Sunday. And I thought to myself, I don't know, you know, (laughs) maybe not. Uh, But here I am, and I am extremely grateful and thankful to everyone who's poured into me. Um, My parents, all of our pastors, Dean. Um, Hunter, my college pastor. Um, I'm just so appreciative of it, and I am so thankful to be here this morning preaching to y'all. Let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this Christmas season where we have a moment to slow down and to think about you, think about all that you are and all that you have done for us. God, we thank you for your word as it teaches us who you are. We pray this morning that we would hear your word, that we wouldn't only be hearers, but that we would be doers. We would understand it, and that our lives would change, and that we would go forward as people of your word, living for your will. I pray that you would help us through this text and through this morning to worship you in grace and truth as a community of believers here in Tallahassee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Looks like I'll be preaching over the rain this morning, but that's good. Um, so, Christmas season. I love Christmas season. It is my favorite time of the year. Thanksgiving is great to get together with families and uh, eat your Thanksgiving meal. If you're one of those who likes Halloween more than any other holiday, I'll pray for you. Um, But Christmas is really my favorite season. It goes from dead hot here in Tallahassee to a livable uh, climate. It feels wonderful outside. Many people seem to be in a better mood, a better attitude, right? Our houses change to a Christmas feel. Um, There are parades and parties and smells of Christmas cookies, and we do presents in my family on Christmas morning. We always come downstairs. My dad will teach us a lesson from the scriptures about Christ, and then we'll very orderly hand out all the gifts, and then we go in a circle one by one, and we open our gifts. And then I got older, and I realized that some of of y'all is mayhem Christmas morning. Like, kids come downstairs, it's just like confetti, like, everywhere from the wrapping paper. Um, But I just love the Christmas season. I love all that it comes with. But sometimes as the the days draw nearer and nearer to the 25th and Christmas, all these things can be so intoxicating that the actual meaning of Christmas is lost on us altogether. Right? We may understand that we celebrate Christmas because Jesus came, but we don't really understand why it's significant, why that matters, why our lives should look different because of it, right? Between 
everything going on in our homes, our travel, our families coming, everything in our city slowing down of work, we can just kind of lose it in all of the hustle and all of the lights. So I pray, and I have been praying that through the word, um, this morning through John chapter 1, I might be able to show you exactly why Christmas does matter and that we can worship together. So this morning, we'll be in John chapter 1. We'll be focusing on verse 14, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 for us this morning. John 1, 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was the created that had been created. In Him was life, that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There is a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who do receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of man, uh, or of the will of flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is in himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. So this morning, we will spend most of our time in verse 14, but if we hope to understand it in the way that I think John would like us to, we have to spend some time in verses 1 through 5, and with the context of that in mind, we'll more clearly understand verse 14. So beginning in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the word. As people who read our Bibles as Christians, when we hear the phrase, in the beginning, our minds should immediately be routed somewhere, right? In the beginning is a big statement in the Bible. It should take our minds immediately to Genesis 1-1 and realizing that John is trying to point something out here. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we have that statement written by Moses that in the beginning was God and he created everything. But John is saying something here. John is saying that his statement predates even Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 is a creative statement. God created the heavens and the earth. Whereas John 1.1 is simply saying that this word was in the beginning. Before all creation was the word. And John continues, and the word was with God. So previously in the first chunk, we have the when of the word. When was the word? It was in the beginning. Here we have the where of the word. Where was this word? It was with God 
in the beginning. So we see that the word is in an active fellowship with the father. And then John continues saying, and the word was God, answering for us the who. So in the beginning, he's with God and he was God. He's saying that though distinct from the father, this word is divine in himself. This reveals to us the deity of the word. And at this point, it's good to stop and just say that John's not trying to flex some high lofty intellectual point to entertain or impress us in some way. He's trying to very clearly teach us something about this word as we will see in verse 14. And to completely clear up what he's saying, he reiterates in verse 2 that he was with God in the beginning. So without any shadow of a doubt, no ifs, ands, or buts, John has made it clear repeatedly that this word was God. But then he continues showing us even more about this word. Verse 3, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Kind of a tongue twister there. So not only was the word God, but we see that this word is God's word, and it has the power to create. Right previously in Genesis 1-1, we see that God spoke everything into existence. And we see that this word is the power through which it was done. All things were made through him. This verse speaks in a positive and a negative tense, right? Positively, all things were made through him. In the negative tense, nothing was made that wasn't made through him. So John is showing us no matter what way you want to slice it, no matter what way you want to say it, all things come from this word. All things flow forward from this word. Colossians 1.16 says this, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So not only have all things been created by him and through him, proving that this word is prior to creation. He is not a created being, right? He is in the beginning. Not only is it created by him, it was created all for him and for his glory. That is his end. And his creation doesn't only speak to his power, right, that he can speak and everything comes to it into existence. It also speaks of his majesty and his beauty. As we look around, we see this entire created order and we think to ourselves, how could this have come together, right? The maker of this is beautiful. The maker of this is majestic. Then verses four and five, in him was life and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. In him, as creator, is life. And also light, this word showing that all goodness comes from him. Light is a sign of perfection. In the word, there's no moral corruption. There is no form of deficiency. The word is completely pure and completely good, completely perfect, and the word, as John has made very clear, is God. So with this context in mind, we can walk into verse 14 and not just think to ourselves the word. What does he mean by that? And the rest of our time this morning is going to be focused there in verse 14 and the significance of it. 
verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. So if we're tracking with what John just said in verses 1 through 5, we realize that what he just said is huge, absolutely crucial for our faith. The word became flesh. God became man. So with what we know about the New Testament, we know that this word is speaking of Jesus. Verse 17 in chapter 1 also affirms that as well. So Jesus being God became a man and actually dwelt with us. You can actually go to where he lived in his time on this earth. He was here with us. And it says that he saw his glory. And John did literally see his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration in Jesus's ministry. He's described as the only son from the Father. This meaning that he is the only one. There's no one else who will come to redeem their people. It's only Jesus. He is the one that has come for us. Salvation can only be through him. And then it says he came full of grace and truth. And these words are tossed around often in Christian circles. Grace and truth um, are common words that we use and often sometimes use so often that we forget what they mean. But he's not just saying here flippantly that he came in grace and truth. These two words are almost an exact echo of the way the Lord describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, Moses asks if he can see God in glory, and the Lord goes by him as he hides in the cleft of this rock. And as he passes by him, he says this. This is Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He is abounding in faithful love and truth. Faithful love also could be translated here as graciousness. So the Lord, who's previously described himself as abounding in faithfulness and truth, John is saying the same thing. This word, Jesus, who has come to you, is the same God who revealed himself to Moses in the Old Testament. D.A. Carson puts it this way, that Jesus is the ultimate disclosure of God himself. The ultimate disclosure of God himself. He is God. And this is really what Christmas is all about. Grace and truth coming to us in Jesus. And see, his, Jesus' is coming is not the beginning of our faith. It's simply a more full realization of it as he comes and brings in our new covenant with him. We see this story of God's grand plan of redemption unraveling and unraveling. And so we see that God describes himself to Moses, and then John says, Well, this is the same God. This is Jesus. So I'm going to describe him in the same way. And so we see the story of redemption being played out even here in John chapter 1. So this is what Christmas is all about Jesus coming. But why is it significant that Jesus came? It can be hard to really get that in our heads sometimes, for me too, uh, in this Christmas season. So 
going to give us three reasons for why Christmas matters, why it is significant this morning. The first reason that Christmas is significant is what we just said. God became man for us. This first point really overarches the other two because this is the real reason for Christmas, that God, our Savior, came to be with us. He became man, not partially or in some way, but Jesus being fully God also became fully man. And as I was writing the sermon, I thought long and hard about some sort of like illustration or analogy to be able to you know, uh, make this clearer, but I realize that a lot of heretics have also done that, um, so I'm going to steer clear of any kind of illustration, and this is really because in the way that we live, there's nothing like this that is simultaneously two things in one, right? We live, and if we just think about the created order, right, we have lions, which a lion is, it's a lion, and we have bears, and bears are bears, but you can never see a lion that is simultaneously a bear, like two things in one. We are simply just one. But Jesus became man, leaving behind none of his divinity, fully God and fully man. This is a mystery. I don't fully understand how this came to be and how he exactly worked it out, but this is the mystery we celebrate on Christmas, that our God deemed it worthy to become like his creation, man and God, to come and save us. The Messiah long prayed for had finally come, and he wasn't at all what was expected. He wasn't at all of what, what, what people thought he would be. He wasn't a military leader or political leader in the way we normally think of power. You know, if Jesus is going to come back, he's going to reign um, but rather he came humbly as a servant, suffering for his people. And we realize now that the hope that Christians hold in Christmas is that the baby born in Bethlehem was God, right? In this humble birth, we realize that all the hope we hold in Christmas and really the only place to have hope for now and all eternity is that baby who came in Bethlehem, God Jesus. This takes us to our second point, because Jesus didn't just come as a baby and remain one. Our second point is the incarnation led to our atonement. So the incarnation, God becoming man, led to our atonement, our redemption in God as he paid for our sins. See, the reason why Jesus came not to conquer as a king, he will come one day again in that manner is because when Jesus first came, he came for one reason. Jesus came to die. When Jesus took on flesh, he had one purpose in mind. That was to live a perfectly obedient and sinless life to the Father. And then sacrifice his life for the life of his people and his church. And as a church, we know now and we proclaim and we worship because that has been accomplished. His purpose has been realized. We can repent and believe in God, knowing that our salvation is secure eternally in him. We have redemption through his blood. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 say this. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps, perhaps someone might even dare die. But God proves his own love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we still did not deserve it in any way, the only, um, the only payment was due to God, but he decided that he would pay it on our behalf. We know that this was accomplished in Jesus' perfect life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We know today that we can have hope in Jesus because he came and he came to die for his people and he accomplished his purposes. The incarnation led to the atonement. Then our third point, our God is personal. He's personal. What do I mean by this? I think Hebrews 4.15 gets at this point. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Jesus understands. He lived a human life. Our God is not some impersonal, ethereal being that's in the heavens and started creation like we start a dishwasher and just walked away. No, he's in it all. He's involved in every minute detail. Jesus understands us. He experienced what we do. He experienced joy and all the pleasures of life. He experienced suffering for doing what was good. He experienced loss and hardship and poverty and loneliness, and he was constantly misunderstood, even by those closest to him, his mom, his brothers, his sisters, his disciples. He was an outcast, and like us, he like we will someday, he even experienced death. So it's easy to read the Bible and think like, wow, Jesus had a, such a miraculous life. He's like me in no way. How, how could I ever be like this? And that is true. He is God and his life was miraculous. But we know that his life was human. He experienced what we do. He suffered for us. He experienced everything except for sin. And so we know he can relate to us and that we can draw near to him in hope and with peace, knowing that our God understands, he listens to our prayers, and he is with us. And so verse 14, it teaches us really the significance of Christmas, right? That God became man, and then he accomplished his task by atoning for our sin. He's also a personal God who understands us and whom we can draw near to and have faith in every day. But verse 14, it not only teaches us why Christmas matters, it also teaches us of the promises of Christmas. It speaks of promises in two ways, the first being promises fulfilled, and the second being promises to come. Verse 14, again, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt with us. This word literally means to set up a tent or to tabernacle with. So he tabernacled among us. And this language, like the phrase in the beginning, should spark our minds immediately and route us back to the Old Testament to see that in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, God dwelt with the people in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. But now God chose to tabernacle, to dwell with his people in a significantly more personal way. 
Whereas one person, the high priest, once a year could enter the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of Israel and be in the presence of God, now all of his people can experience this dwelling with God. Through Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God now dwells with us in a significantly more personal way than he ever did. And so we see a promise fulfilled in the coming Messiah. But he also speaks of a promise to come, right? This Advent season and in every Advent season, we contemplate what it must have been like to wait for the Messiah, right? We've been promised this Savior who will save us from everything and will make the nation of Israel great as many thought. And we think of what it must have been like to wait for Jesus. But in this Advent season, we also pray and we earnestly wait for Jesus to return in power and to reign forever with him, to bring his bride home, to bring his church whole. And so we pray and we meditate and we long for Jesus to come back. And so we have a promise to come. We see this fulfillment in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. I'll read that for us this morning. Then I saw a new heaven, and this is John writing too, so we'll see similar words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We will dwell with God forever. This is the hope of Christmas, that Jesus will return and he will bring us into perfection with the Father. And so this Christmas season, as we have a, as a church celebrate in our many traditions and our trees and our cookies, let's celebrate with our whole hearts, with our families near. Let's celebrate with our whole hearts. Let's enjoy it and be glad. But let's respond differently. Let's look different than the world that says it's all about materialism and what I can get. Let's respond differently, knowing that we celebrate because Jesus came. We celebrate because he dwelled with us, and we know that we will dwell with him forever in peace with God. Let's take time to meditate on this truth throughout this season, and then celebrate on Christmas because our God, he came to dwell with us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it teaches us. I thank you for the hope that it brings, especially after a year like this, in a season like this, God, where things are just so uncertain, we see in your word absolute certainty. We know that Jesus came. We know that he died for us. We know that if we repent and believe of, of our sins, we can know you and we can be saved from them. We thank you for all you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.